Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen. The portion of scripture for our consideration is the gospel lesson we just heard read, Mark chapter 10. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, members of God's family, I think it's safe to say that family values are taking a hit these days. Popular TV shows and movies glorify same-sex relationships and sex apart from marriage and, and sister wives. We read the news and hear reports of sexual escapades of celebrities and politicians and alleged date rape and child pornography and child abuse. Broken families and broken marriages are all around us in our communities and even in our churches. Makes one wonder, does anyone have any kind of grasp about Christian family values. And to be honest, even Christians like us, we're not immune to the voices and realities in the world around us. I think sometimes we in the church are confused about what are truly Christian family values. We get frustrated and discouraged when we see our families struggling and hurting. But as it is with any aspect of our Christian lives this side of heaven, it is good for us to just take a step back, take a moment, and listen to Jesus. You see, today in the Gospel, Jesus teaches us about true Christian family values. Throughout his ministry, Jesus was in conflict with those Pharisees, those religious leaders who devoted themselves to the studying, teaching, and living of the law of Moses. They were the experts. Jesus challenged their expertise and authority. He confronted them with their sins, even when they didn't think they were guilty of any sins. In their hatred and jealousy for Jesus, they were constantly trying to trap him, doing or saying something against the law of Moses. They wanted nothing more than to drag him into a courtroom or at the very least damage his reputation in the court of public opinion. So on this occasion, as Jesus was, was nearing Jerusalem for the last time, with crowds milling around and gathering as he was teaching in a home, the, the Pharisees came to him with a question about family values. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, God's Old Testament law set down some guidelines for, or procedures for a divorce. If a husband found something indecent in his wife, he could divorce her, but he had to document it. So she had proof that she was no longer married. Now, as Jesus pointed out, it was because their hearts were hard because of their sinfulness, that God permitted this. And the Pharisees themselves, they, they debated about what indecent was. Some of them thought that if a husband 
felt his wife burned supper too often or didn't keep the house clean enough or, or put on a few pounds, that was enough to get a divorce. In other words, any excuse was good enough, which sounds kind of like the prevailing attitudes in 21st century America. You see, so many people in our world today view marriage as some kind of historical development of a society which makes it then subject to human interpretation and change. So what have we seen happen in our world? Marriage has developed and changed so that we have no-fault divorces and couples testing the waters before they get married by living together or people engaging in sexual activity apart from the commitment of marriage and even same-sex marriages. And what's the result of all this? Broken hearts and broken homes, teenage moms and single-parent families, babies aborted in the womb or left in dumpsters to die, AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases, all because people have taken God's gift of marriage and changed it, cheapened it, or simply chucked it out the window. Let's listen to family values according to Jesus. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus takes us back to the beginning and gives us God's original plan for marriage and the home. And this was a plan he established even before sin entered the world. And it's a plan that is still in effect today. One man, one woman, united in marriage for life. This marriage bond is so tight that they're described, husband and wife are described as one flesh. And since God is the one who brings a husband and wife together, it is not up to human beings to separate that bond, whether by unfaithfulness or by divorce. To do so violates God's holy will. To do so is a sin, a sin against God, against the spouse, against the children if there are any. start to think that maybe we're, this isn't applying to us, since some of us might, some of you might not be married, maybe a lot of us haven't been divorced, before we start to think like Pharisees, let's remember that Jesus also said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. Remember that sex is such a special blessing from God that expresses the unity of marriage, that, that oneness in a physical way, that to make light of it, to joke about it, to engage in sex before marriage and outside of marriage, it contradicts these family values according to Jesus. And, and wives, 
do you always submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ? And husbands, do you always love your wife with the same self-sacrificing, unconditional love that Christ showed by giving himself up for the church? Thankfully, Jesus did give himself up for us to rescue us from our sins against, against sex and marriage. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit brought us into God's family through baptism. Thankfully, because Jesus' blood shed on the cross, because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross, we have full and free forgiveness for all of our sins, including those sins we might be very ashamed of. Therefore, let us repent. Let us repent of the lust that's in our hearts. Let us repent of our sinful attitudes and actions of sins that damage and cheapen God's gifts of sex and marriage. And then, with the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, let's engage in the struggle, the battle against the lust that we have. Let's close our eyes and our ears to improper pictures. Let's say no to sex before marriage and outside of marriage. Let's lead pure and decent lives and words and actions like we've learned in the Catechism. And with the Holy Spirit working in us, we can work at making our marriages work and last. I remember a wedding sermon a number of years ago where the pastor gave three key ingredients for a lasting, lifelong Christian marriage. His sermon was based on this passage from Ephesians. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So here were his three ingredients. Number one, do kind deeds for your spouse, putting the spou your spouse's interests ahead of your own. Secondly, show compassion when your spouse is having a rough day and third forgive when you have hurt each other sounds like a simple recipe right sounds pretty difficult to put into practice right but let's remember who we are and whose we are we are children of our Heavenly Father brought into his kingdom of believers through the water and word of baptism. Therefore, we can live out these callings that we have in life. That our, our, our family lives provide us with opportunities every day. doesn't matter whether you're single, married, whether you're a child. We all have opportunities every day to live out our faith in a way that honors God's family values, that reflects an understanding and appreciation for God's plan for marriage. So Jesus dealt with this question of the Pharisees, but he wasn't done teaching us about family values. See, there were he was still in this house. There were crowds lingering around and, and listening to him. 
And people were bringing little children to Jesus to, for him to place his hands on them. These people, probably the parents of these children, believed that Jesus could help their children. Bless them, pray for them, teach them. The disciples, however, rebuked them. Apparently the disciples were outside of the house trying to prevent these parents from bringing their children into Jesus. Either the disciples thought Jesus was too tired or too busy to deal with children, or he was too important to be bothered by the little ones. Either way, they misunderstood God's kingdom once again. Their vision of God's kingdom involved outward success and power. Children didn't fit that vision. In his just anger against his disciples, Jesus spoke some of the most comforting words for parents and children to hear. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus didn't want little children to be kept from him, and he knew they couldn't come to him by themselves, so he didn't want anyone preventing parents from bringing their children to him. And then we see Jesus demonstrate his love in, again, a most wonderful picture. He took the little children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. What, what a picture of his love. Do you see the family values Jesus is teaching us here? Um, yes, children need food and clothes and a warm bed and a, and a home to live in. And Paul, in his letter to the Timothy, speaks very sharply about the responsibility parents have for taking care of their children. He says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. But more than anything else, Jesus wants children brought to him so they can be brought into his family of believers. They can't come on their own. They're born sinners. They don't even want to come on their own. They're born unbelievers. What a tragedy when parents, even Christian parents, have the mistaken idea that little babies shouldn't be baptized because either they're not really sinners or they can't really believe. What a tragedy when parents have the attitude, well, I don't want to force my religion on my kids. I'll let them decide for themselves when they get older. What a blessing and, and a miracle when parents bring their children to the baptismal font. And through that water and word, the Holy Spirit creates new life in them. Be thankful for the parents who brought you to be baptized into God's family. What a blessing when moms and dads read Bible stories to their children and teach them to pray and bring them to church and, and enroll them in Sunday school or, or, or our Luther, in our Lutheran schools. What a blessing when, when parents and, and a church make the investment of time, energy, and money so that little children can learn about their Savior. Be thankful 
for parents who taught you about Jesus and brought you to church. See, those are family values that really make a difference. Baptism brings children, brings people, even the littlest ones, into God's family, washes away their sins. Christian education, whether it's done in the home with a dad sitting at the kitchen table and, and leading his family in prayer and, and Bible study, or it's Christian education done here in a church or your Lutheran schools, that's God's way of nurturing faith and preparing people for a lifetime of Christian service and an eternity in his kingdom. Family values according to Jesus. Marriage is a lifelong union, not some temporary arrangement. Children are to be brought to Jesus so they can become part of God's family. Jesus, however, at the very end of this section, had one more family value he teaches us that applies to every single person here this morning, whether you are single, married, divorced, or widowed, whether you are a, a child, a teenager, or an adult. He said, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it interesting little children they know they have to look to someone else to provide them with food and clothes and a home and, and they, they kind of trust their parents to do that for them and little Christian children have a beautiful faith that says Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so little Christian children believe unquestionably questioningly in Jesus and know that I am Jesus' little lamb. That's the kind of attitude of faith that Jesus is looking for, that, that, that we're all to have. I, I, I remember reading, I found it in my files about 15, 16 years ago or so, a, a story about a four-year-old Wells boy from Alaska. His father had picked up on a rainy day a, a teenage hitchhiker, and as they were driving along, the little boy looked at the teenager and said, do you know that Jesus died for you? And the teenager ignored him. But this boy was not to be ignored. He was persistent. Do you know Jesus died for your sins? He even unbuckled his seatbelt, got up in his face, and do you know Jesus died for your sins? Finally, the teenager, recognizing this kid wasn't going to be ignored, said, uh, no, I don't. The little boy got back, buckled himself back up, and said triumphantly, now you do. My father knows it, I know it, my brother knows it, and now you do too. Isn't that the attitude of faith? That childlike, humble trust. That recognizing, first of all, that we need God's help, and secondly, a faith that says yes to God's promises and boldly confesses those truths. My friends, those are family values. Family values for all of us that are real, that have value now and forever in our Father's heavenly home. Amen.